Hey, welcome everybody to the Scuttlebutt Podcast. I'm Rich Mellon, and with me today is Cole Olson from the great state of Minnesota. Cole, how are you? Great. So what's what's going on? You you reached out. You you said you've trapped your whole life. We're going to talk uh, talk about some uh, trapping in, in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, first started out. I was in third grade, and we uh, we read this article, a little article in the newspaper about some clients that were having trouble with a raccoon. So I went home from school and asked Dad, "Can I get a live trap?" Because they were trapping raccoons in an attic. And Dad said, yeah, sure. So then I went to the local hardware store and got some can of sardines. And I threw it in the back and down by the stream. And I first, my, caught my first coon. And then from there, it just took off. <laughs> we we don't have raccoon up here. We're too far north for it. But I do have a good raccoon story. We were uh, okay. We were down in Nebraska and we were hunting deer. And one of the places, Nebraska is... Is plum full of old abandoned farms. Uh, you know, like uh, I guess mostly corporate have moved in and they, they've bought everything up and all. So all these these farmsteads have gone uh, have gone, uh, you know, uh, to, into little ghost towns practically. Anyway, we were crawling up into this one barn, sitting in the barn, you know, look looking out uh, through the loft and that uh, to be hunting deer. And as we get up top, uh, get up go, go th- uh, through the floor and up into the, the loft. It's all full. There's probably, I don't know, three feet of old hay. And that hay has been there like 30 years or 35 years. And it's the dust. You can just see the dust dancing everywhere. And, and uh, my, my wife was, was the one that was hunting and she was uh, using a muzzle loader. And there's this big old boar coon up there. And he is, he's just stove up. He's like, like he's been underneath uh, several cars and, and, you know, he's scarred up and he's got one ear and I, he can hardly move. And, and he's, he's trying to get, get, get out of the way. And, and uh, the outfitter is saying, shoot him, shoot him. And, and me and the, and the cameraman are no, no, no. <laughs> you get about two and a half feet of flame at the end of that muzzle loader. You'd have seen the explosion on the horizon. You'd have seen it up in Minnesota. Like, Oh my God. <laughs> That's yeah, my we got one, pretty that's my one coon story. <laughs> okay. We have some pretty big raccoon up here. I mean, uh, I was averaging this year 25 to 35 pound raccoon. Really? Yeah, the biggest I got this year was a 5X. 5X. I guess they go yeah. to 6X, don't they? Is that the biggest? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And uh, raccoon prices have, have rebounded a little bit. Yeah, I, I just sold about a month ago, and the top dollar I got for coon was ten dollars for a three X coon. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, and that was just green. That wasn't that wasn't flesh or anything. That's not so bad. So that wasn't then. a bad. No. no. No, that's not bad at all. Like we had, we do not have that green um, uh, marketplace here at all. We don't okay. have it in the round, and we don't have a green. We, everything has to be put up. Uh, and uh, dried and and you know fleshed and dried, right? And uh, my fur buyer, well, he'll give us two dollars less than what he put him up. So I mean, there's not really worth putting them up for less than two dollars. No, no. Well, raccoon is a lot of um, there's a lot of fat on them, right? They're they're I, yeah, I don't yeah, know anything about greasy, them. greasy, very right? greasy. Yep. And is it is it a tough fat or does it push off easy? push off easy but it's just so messy your knife you got to clean your knife constantly okay okay 
So it, it wouldn't be like an otter, would, which is pretty damn tough. It, it uh, would be a lot no, very easy to skin. Yeah. Yeah. But the only thing that sucks about Minnesota, you know, we start in October. And then, you know, by end of November, it's freezing up. And then after about 20 degrees, those raccoons go dormant. Yeah. Yeah, they would they would uh, they would hibernate for a little while or, or until it warmed up again. Right? Yeah. 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 But then I'll get my fisher boxes out. And then if it gets above 30 degrees, all my fisher box will be full of raccoon. Because <laughs> it warms up. Yeah. Uh, so you do you have a lot of fisher there as well, then, or? Yes, we have quite a few, quite a few fish around. But in the state of Minnesota, we're only allowed um, two fisher or two pine marten, one of each combined. Oh, okay. But and it's not on draw or anything. That, that that's just the limit. Yep. Okay. And we're too far where I'm at. We're too far west to have a lot of pine marten. You get up towards Ely, Minnesota. There's quite a bit up there. Well, Martin, like we have a lot of Martin, and we have we have a lot of, of Fisher as well. But Martin need lots of snow, and that's yeah. that that's one of the things that when you get both Martin and Fisher, then you're kind of on the edge for each one of them. Um, and Martin likes to have uh, a minimum of two uh, two feet or more uh, snowpack every month, and to to work with. And a Fisher likes to have less than two feet of snowpack. And it, it just, so, you know, we have, if you have three, four winters in a row where we have very little snow, our Martin, Martin numbers go down. And it's just because they're not, okay. they're not, they're not surviving the winter. They can actually freeze to death. A oh, Martin, wow. Martin is a fur bearer that can actually freeze to death because they have such a tiny amount of fat on them. They don't, they, they don't have enough fat to stores to survive being in the cold very long. So they need to get under that snow. They need to get, uh, uh, it's called a, a subnivian climate. And uh, I imagine you have a snowmobile, you run snowmobiles there. Oh, in, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, you know, when we talk about the snow's gone sugary? You know, yep. how, well, what's happened there is is this subnivian cl climate setting up. And and so the ground usually stays at about zero, unless I'm, unless it's saturated in water and, and then can freeze. Your ground stays at, at just at freezing. And but that's warm enough so that it actually melts a little bit of snow just above, just above the ground, and that snow actually does goes through a process called sublimination, where it goes straight from a solid to a vapor. It doesn't get liquid in between; it just goes solid to a vapor, and then it, that vapor rises up in the snow until it gets cold enough, and it goes back from that vapor to a solid, and that's what, where you get the the, the uh, ice crystals or snow crystals that we call sugary snow. But okay. that sublimation is what causes then that you've got this this gap between the bottom of the snow and the top of the ground, and things like uh, like ermine or, or short-tailed weasel and and martin get get down there and they can actually travel some cases hundred yards, you know they'll they'll have a trail of hundred yards underneath there. It's fascinating. You your snowmobile and you'd be going out in an opening. All of a sudden you watch the snow just fall around you. You've just you've just caved in that that little bit of, of space that was uh, between the snow and the and the ground. That that's what that's what's causing it to to look like it just fell. You know okay. that the snow fell, right? Are are we losing you here? You guys, Dane, you're done up there for. No, we're good. 
Okay. Uh, we are, uh, Martin and Fisher are done. Uh, all of all of the weasels, so Martin, Fisher, Wolverine, the ermine, the mink, uh, they're all done. They end, they, they end at the end of January. Um, wolf, coyote, lynx, uh, beaver, otter, muskrat, they're still all open. And really all I'm focusing on right now are lynx and, and otter. A little bit later, I'll, I'll get into into beaver beavers through the ice. I mean, I've got a long time to get them through the ice yet. Uh, usually yeah. I can still be trapping through the ice first of April. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same up with here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My best last year was 98 beaver. Wow. A lot of beaver up here. Yeah. Oh, you, um, you got a huge amount of water. Yeah. And then uh, I work with a county pretty heavily uh, clear and they, they get a lot of uh, culverts that get clogged up. And I, I'm a guy, go to guy for, getting the beaver out of there so you do do you work you work for them like as an employee or do you are you do you subcontract to them subcontract to them and then they just call me when they have a problem with a few beaver clogging the culvert up it's frustrating for them i mean they they bring a machine in to, to push a log through or whatever to, to clean it out and and then come back and do it again in the morning. I mean, a beaver will, yep. <laughs> they'll plug it up overnight right <laughs> yep and then i keep on explaining to them that uh prime beaver habitat they're going to be back here every year you just got to oh, yeah. manage them i i deal with uh oil companies but there's very busy um uh oil sands but it's deep oil sands uh underneath my trap line and so it's a very busy uh oil field and beaver are a non-stop stop problem for them and i just tell them like you know i we can dynamite we can dig we can trap we can shoot we can do whatever but prime habitat never stays empty for long you know no. And they, and that's the truth of it. I mean, it's it's kind of like like selling beer. You never really actually uh, buy it; you just rent it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't I don't mind that at all. You know that that the, the beavers are are uh, keeping things busy. I won't do any beaver work in June. And that's because the around here that's the time of the year that the that the kits are in the uh, are in the uh, lodge and. Um, they can't swim for the first month, you know, no. and they're waiting on, they wholly dependent on mom. I have no problem with killing every one of them once they're out swimming or whatever, but the thought of them starving to death in there, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I actually had a few that I couldn't get this fall. And I, uh, <clears throat> I was up muskrat trap and I finally found the lodge where they've been living and I found the deep run. I had water over my waders. And I'm lucky I had another guy with that I had I had some longer H stands with. And he actually pulled me out because I don't think I would have got out of that beaver run if it wasn't for him. Oh, really? Yeah. You guys are so lucky though. I mean, you have such a solid bottom in your in your water. Like ours is bog. Like oh, yeah. Our, ours is we have a nice hard bottom. Yeah, I know, and, and I'm kind of envious of that. That's why we do all our muskrat and that out of a canoe because you can't walk. You know, you, oh. you literally you you you'd sink, you know, to your crotch in the mud. It's all just, oh. it's all just brown loon crap down there. You know, like rotted vegetation and that, and you just can't walk in it. And, okay. and you know, like I'm, I'm due for a hip here, and man, to to be able to lift my try and lift my leg that high anymore. Ain't oh yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but you uh do you do uh what beaver muskrat a uh, little bit of fisher martin and uh raccoon what what do you target most uh i am i actually love my raccoon uh-huh <clears throat> i actually had cousins uh when i was a little boy probably five or six that uh he owned a junkyard and <clears throat> he he's from squealing from a old cargo van they had back all back and we've seen the mother got hit on the highway and we raised him up to be a year old the raccoons oh. and i learned so much from watching those raccoons for a year it's impressive tell, tell me about that tell, tell me tell me what you learned because I, I mean, a raccoon to me is just, I'm a blank piece of paper. They, uh, well, we, we, mom wasn't very happy. We bring them into the house. Oh. And uh, anything silver, they, they grabbed coins, silverware, anything. It's a bright, shiny. And huh? they won't let, and they won't let go of it. You can put a quarter inside of a crack of a wall and you hold on to that quarter all day. <laughs> he won't drop it. <laughs> no way. Because <laughs> the nature, when they like they they a lot of ours eat a lot of clams and crayfish, and that shiny thing in the water represents a clamshell. Okay. Okay. So some some of my sets I put out like a flashing or a galvanized steel on a rope and hang it from my set. So if a raccoon's working the river bottom, he'll see that floating over the top of a trap, and he'll come over and check that out from a ways away. Oh, so you'd have a trap set on the bottom? Is it? Yeah, I'll just have a coon, I'll lose you, like a, uh, a coon dagger or a, a coon grabber. Oh, so a dogless trap. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yep. All right, I, I, have, I have took them from if there's a tree leaning over the top of a, a river bank. I'll put a piece of flashing up there, like flagging you do for your bobcat or lynx. Yeah. And then bait them like a pocket set. But they oh. like attraction. If they if, if it's fancy or spinny, they, they want to come check it out. Very much like a cat that way, then, aren't they? Yep. Curiosity killed the cat. Oh, curiosity kills all my cats. <laughs> 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 yeah they they're, they they got to figure out what's going on there and and they're not bright so they're figuring is is a one-way trip <laughs> correct i wish your your links were as dumb as our uh, bobcat up here well our links are dumb there's no question <laughs> about that our bobcat are i had i had eight or nine refusals this year because we uh in minnesota we need a seven inch hangover our boxes so it keeps the dogs out of there okay so I get so a lot the, of refusals. Explain to me how this works then. What, what, so you what, got like what, a, so you have like a one sixty box. Yeah. And your trap has to be seven inches away from that top of the lid. So seven inches so you, back in the box. No, you just gotta have an overhang of seven inches. So oh. supposedly dogs can't get into the box. Oh, okay. See, I don't use any body grips at all for, for my cats. Correct. You use a lot of snare pens. Yeah. All snare. All snare. Yeah. Some of them, uh, most, I mean, a lot of them are in pens, but I, I also do blind sets too. It just depends on the year. You know, some years you have right. a lot more cats traveling than you than you do otherwise. And and like right now, um, the last couple of weeks of the, of the season, now the cats are, you know, 
thinking about love and and they start marching a lot right they they'll make miles after mm-hmm. miles i had one um one one on the last check that was out marching and he, he must have marched for i don't know an easy mile on my trail before i ran into him and, and i actually got to shoot him and oh I, wow yeah it's only the second time in my life that i ever shot a lynx <laughs> <laughs> and let, let me tell you i have a lot of miles on machines in the bush right <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> but they're just one of those animals and i don't know if your bobcat is this way or not but if you're on a road or a trail or whatever and you see something way up there and, and it's sitting on its bum i can guarantee you it's a lynx it'll never be a it'll never be a, a a dog it won't be a a coyote or a wolf just because they don't sit down like that you know and, right. and a cat cats just casually just they just they sit down and, and they're not really afraid of you I mean, you get up close to them and then, you know, they'll, they'll move off and that that's what this did. But, you know, I can't legally have ammunition in my gun in, in Alberta. So I had, you know, you got to stop, you got to get the gun pulled out. You got to lift the seat. You got to get the ammunition, shove it in the gun. (laughs) (laughs) All while he's sitting there looking at you, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, Uh, we actually had a few guys up here at the angle that Bobcats visit their fish houses. Right, they'd wander up to them, and wish my bobcat were that tame. <laughs> well, <laughs> everyone I go after, they see anything, they're gone. I've I have a a high stand on on the home quarter here that uh, I set it up for for grandkids to to shoot deer out of, and that and uh, and uh, this year, um, uh, some doctor friends and that were out after after elk, and my brother was there too. A fisher adopted this thing, and he must have crapped in it a dozen times. He would get up into this high, you know, it's, it's got no doors or anything on it. It's a, a, a building and it's up 20 feet in the air. And, and uh, he'd climb up the pole and, I, and he would, he crapped in it like a dozen times. <laughs> I don't know what the heck that was all about. but <laughs> Wow. <Well. Yeah. laughs> you never, you never know what, what's going on with animals, do you? No. So then... Tell me about your bobcats. Like I, I don't, I don't know the difference between a bobcat and, and a lynx. I know that I've seen a lot of people catch bobcat. You know, they'll they'll get them to put their head into a into a body grip. You know, and that's really hard thing for me to get have a lynx do. For one thing, it would have to be up uh, off the ground. The bottom of that of that trap has to be sitting at probably with 10, 12 inches off the ground, so that he's he's you know that he can look straight in uh he's never going to crouch down you couldn't have a box on the ground or whatever he would never crouch down to crawl in that that just wouldn't work for a lynx and correct i don't know how you'd get him to go into a box because it's just there's just nothing there that would like they don't lure i mean i have a lure and it it smells and but part of it is is the um uh, is the attraction when they're looking at it and i mean the lure makes them want to rub they want to rub their face on it and Correct. whenever i get beat you have a frozen snare or whatever you, you you can see little you can see the where, where he's rubbed it on his face you can see the imprint of his hair there and and you or you can see little short hair stuck in the lure you know and i, <laughs> I catch one of the greasy face stinky things i know what i know what he's been doing but <laughs> yeah <laughs> but as far as meat like i mean i do have some meat sets you know when we do the the cage and and uh mostly I, I do them for for wolverine but I, you you catch a fair amount of lynx in them but not in the in the uh, trap you have a 30 30 there 
uh, and uh, but very few of them there. They they will. I'll catch them circling the pen, and I'll catch them in snares as they circle. So when okay. I see people with, that, that are catching all these bobcats with the, them putting their head into a into a body grip, they must be a lot more aggressive than the lynx is. Very. I've had them push right through my uh, my wires on my traps, my dogs, right through them. Really? But this year I tried a different uh, meat thing, and it's nothing beats beaver. Oh, no. Nothing. Just, I tried calf liver this year, some other things, and I'll never, I'll always use beaver from now on out. Muskrat Even on my fish Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I use, I use both beaver and muskrat, and um, I don't know, they, they both work pretty good. It's just, it's handy. I do a lot of my muskrat in the fall, and, and, uh, once they're skinned, you, you just whack them in half and you shake the, the guts out of them. You know, they're split, yep. split them out the back of the ribs. And you shake the guts out, take the tail off, and then half a rat goes into each box for, for muskrat and, uh, or pardon me, uh, for Fisher and, and Martin. And there's a lot of times, you you see ever seen a step up for a, a step up set for, for like lynx or bobcat? So they, you've got your, your boxes yep. up the tree, okay? And... It's four. My, my my box is usually four feet off the ground. So a lynx will come up and he'll put his feet up against the tree. Well, if you take and put a stump there, and put a, a trap on top of a stump, and he'll take and step up and he put his foot right into it. it, it it's a really common uh, set that used to be from the old days around here. I have to check that that set every forty eight hours on, on my my trap Correct. line. And that's why I don't do as much of it as as I normally would because. The, the lynx are constantly come checking out that that beaver and yet i can put half a beaver in a hang it in a pen or whatever and you know it's just not the same attraction i I'm, I, don't, I don't understand it i i think part of it is is that that cat is just you know he he's so uh curious you know he's he, he wanders along it's like boom it's it's there but to actually you know, make them come in, work it, or, or something like that. I think that's a, a different different story altogether. I don't think they're that that kind of animal. It, it, it's like trying to bait an otter. You just don't bait an otter, or I don't. Anyway. No, no, no. <laughs> you you had to have lots of otter in your country. Oh yeah, a lot. Um, well, I only caught one this year, accidental. It was earlier in the spring when I was beaver trapping. But yeah, I only got one this year. But I wasn't really targeting them either. I, I target mine in the wintertime. It's so easy in the wintertime. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because they, they travel so much. <laughs> you know, people people don't understand that uh, years and years and years ago, when I first started, uh, got a trap line where, where there was otter. It was a new thing to me, right? And so you'd set up 330 boxes, and you'd have sardines in it and all that kind of stuff. And they would you know slide right right by it and I, I couldn't even prove that they even look sideways to look at my box you know what i mean <laughs> they just go right by it so i mean it's easy on creeks uh beaver you know like a, a beaver dam and then then the creek below it and i mean it goes and you've got every s band you know that the the mink and the otter are going to bounce off of each outside point right bang 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 all the way up the so that's where you make your set and they just they would you know go around it kind of thing to, to, to get by it. So I got frustrated as heck trying to figure this out. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking to everybody I can talk to. Internet wasn't as big back then. 
but I'm trying to figure out how how to how to catch these things. Well, for one thing, nobody was catching them in the wintertime. There was just no literature whatsoever about catching an otter in the wintertime. It was all uh and like mink, you know, the only thing you uh, was it Johnny Thorpe and, and his bottom set for for mink. Well, everything's frozen solid here by the time mink season opens. So I've never done a bottom set for a mink. <laughs> you know what I mean? Closest <laughs> I have to that is you've got a an overhang on uh you know on your bank and and ice is uh you know it's frozen and the ice is there and you and you make that set right there and so he'll be coming along. I guess if you know if he could be underwater, it, that would be a bottom set. But we you know it's the top of the ice bottom set. <laughs> 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 and so when trying to figure out how to how to target the the um the otter was was kind of difficult then i got thinking about it you know and i started i was doing a lot of blind sets for for lynx at the time and uh, i hadn't developed a lure or a system that was that was uh, had that eye appeal for them yet so the blind set was easy you know you just take your your snowmobile trail and you just fence it a little bit and, a, and a, leave a, an opening with a, a snare in it and cat comes along go to cat so I next started doing doing the same thing with with otter. I mean, that's the one thing if I could tell anybody, the most important thing that you can do to be a better trapper is to trap. And you know, you're doing all that traveling all the time, and I'm I'm on on the same, you know, I've got 144 square miles that's mine exclusively, and and I'm, I'm traveling all this and I'm exploring all the time. But after a while, you start to see tracks happening again and again. And then I started noticing that when otter will go up a a little drainage. You know, a week week or so later, you know, depending on how big the drainage is, they come back down it. And they will travel, if if it hasn't snowed or blowed or anything, the, they will travel right in their same belly slides. And I got thinking, well, what if I put a trap on that belly slide? And to begin with, I was really dedicated, a lot more dedicated than I am now. <laughs> but I would find places where, you know, you, you know where you get the, uh, the swamp grass? You know, they yep. just that dried up hummock swamp grass. There'd be places where the otter would go through that. Well, that's a perfect place to set a 330 on a uh, KB stand. Now, now I use the, the, the KB uh, stands for standing a 330 straight up. They just, it just sits on the ice. Cause you got nothing, to, you got no way to stake anything down. Right. Cause it's on the Correct. ice. And uh, so, but back then there was, I didn't have access to KB or, or, you know, any of that stuff either. So, you had I had different systems where I pound you know rebar in through the ice and all that kind of stuff to hold it in place. And when the otter came back through, I'd catch him. And after a while, I realized that you know, as long as the you know there wasn't a big snow or drifting snow or something to fill their trail, they were always going to come back on their trail. And I've even had places where I've had uh, uh, oil field will come in and and they'll plow out a road and. I'll have have had otter crossing over this road on you know there's water on both sides and so they're crossing over and they'll plow it and this is all plowed over and I'll have to dig and find my trap and that's always kind of exciting that you when you you know you got a three thirty in there somewhere right <laughs> and you dig yeah, it out <laughs> kick it one time yeah <laughs> but then you just dig a trail that wide you just dig a trail that wide through that plow ridge you know and the plow ridge might be several feet and all that and you set a trap right in there. That's it. Okay. You don't you don't cover it with anything or anything else. Those otters come back as long as it lines up with their trail. You know, their trail on yep. both sides. You can set them one on both sides. As long as it lines up, they come back through. Boom! You've got otter. You know, it's it's kind of funny. 
I wish we could have exposed 330s here. We got to have them half submerged in Minnesota. So how do you do that in the wintertime? I actually found uh, those secret for you. I use peeled potatoes near uh, Beaver Run. Uh-huh. A lot of time this year, we got snow right away, so we couldn't see the underneath the ice. You can see bubbles going out of the hut. Well, if you can find a run close to that, I take a peeled potato, and then I take a log. I wire my trap to it, chip out a squares to get your trap in there, and peeled potato looks like a ball of roots or a fresh popple tree. Yep. Every time you'll have a, you'll have a beaver. To try it. I'll bet on it. I'll bet on it. Yeah, because I, I, I take and peel a piece of poplar and and uh, and yep. ram it up in between the. But I mean that you could actually you could actually you put that right on the on the trigger, right? Yep. Do you catch many rats that way? Oh yeah, every yeah. rat that thing is clogged up with rats every time. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I was thinking that. I uh, watched some guy. Um, this is one of those YouTube things that it's it's like well. I'll try it, but I'm not going to tell anybody I'm trying it. I took and uh, uh, had a, I've got a place where water overflows the beaver dam all the time. And and there's quite a bit of head there. There's two lakes that, that all drain all down to it. So keeps a, a spot open. Sometimes the size of my desk is about it, but sometimes it's, it's several feet in, in each direction kind of thing. And, and there's current there. So I, I catch, and there's lots and lots of otter there. I catch lots of otter there every year, but I took and, and put, um, big rubber minnows on on my uh okay uh, triggers of, of my 330 and that and they were i was, I was constantly getting <laughs> it was so funny they were constantly they were they were triggered and, and nothing in it and you know i mean nothing beats a 330 belial like i mean it just no. it just doesn't happen unless it's like a a muskrat and he fits inside of it when it closes kind of thing right Boom. Right. And, and, and and you know if he hasn't got a toe or a, or a tail sticking out then he he's safe but one day, one day I went back there finally, and I had a, I had about a sixteen-inch pike. <laughs> I was like, well, I know what's hitting them now. <laughs> yep. But it just, it would just sit there. I had had it straight up and down, and uh, kind of where you know they uh, had the dam here, and and there was kind of a, a like a little deeper trough, and they would come up out of. Uh, I might imagine they came up out of there. That I mean, because they went straight to the crossover, and so I just set it down in there, and there was a bit of current. Well that twister tail thing that I had, you know, it's this long with kind of a twister tail. Well, it would just lazily, the tail would just lazily move in the current. And I guess uh, I guess that would drive a pike crazy. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and then our, our, uh, our coyotes up here are awfully smart. If you get 15 coyotes a year, you're a great trapper in Minnesota. Really? Uh, Everybody you... and their brothers shooting at them, running dogs, you know, they're very pressured around here. Are you allowed to bait? Yes. Okay. I actually got into this year, and I haven't had much luck, but we've got so much snow. Well, snow <clears> and, hard to get trail. But snow and bait is just the perfect time, man. Like, uh, oh yeah. If if you've got lots of kites around, like I mean, I my home quarter, I take two dozen between twenty four and thirty off of every year on my home quarter, but I take two dump dump uh, trailer loads of of meat scraps there, and okay. And I mean, you got to set it in the right place. A lot of people don't think about it when they go to set up a, a bait and whether it's for wolves or for coyotes, you want to be on the edge of something open and you want your bait to be just out in the open. And everybody says, well, but 
then they can, you know, they can walk down the edge and not not go by a snare or whatever. That's true. But you got to think about the animal itself and, and how he's going to behave. But I want it so that the birds can find it. Overwhelmingly, 98% of that meat's going into a bird. Like, I mean, yeah. we have we, we have ravens. Do you have ravens there? Yep. Yeah. We got lots and lots of ravens here. And magpies. Yeah. And the, the, the ravens and magpies eat a lot of meat. So, I mean, I know that I'm feeding the, the birds and I want them to be making that big noise up and down and, and all the time. And I mean, I, I put the, on the, the one side of my, my quarter section here, uh, I'm sitting right against uh, my neighbor's uh, quarter section. His his is wide open. His is wide open. It's it's all an alfalfa field. And I'm my, my quarter is all bush other than this one, I don't know, 10 acres that's that that's uh a little bit of a meadow and and i just i'm just sitting right there and yeah lots of times the coyotes you can see where they've come right across his quarter section you know and and uh come to the bait now but when they go to leave then they they leave through the bush and that's where my snares are or they get there and they they're they're kind of leery and so they go to circle it and then depending on the wind and that will they circle it and that's where my snares are you know <laughs> and so you, you you catch a lot that way right? yeah the big thing is for for bait, a bait pile is you can't let it run out of bait. You know, if if you ever run out of bait, then you're gonna have to right. you got got to get a bunch there, and you got to you, you start all over again, right? I actually caught my first coyote this year with foothold, so this next fall it'll be wide open. So, can you use lethal snares there, or do or you just use restraints? Restraints. Okay. Because you guys lose a lot of power rams, don't you? Oh yeah, yep. Yeah, I that wish or, um, there. Uh, I should have lain here on my desk somewhere. Um, lights out snaring. He's got a big seventy pound snare uh, uh, spring on that goes right on a snare and that. Yeah. Okay. Ours, ours are all lethal. As a matter of fact, it'll probably be law. I thought it would have been up by now, but um, the Fur Institute of Canada is is the uh, corporation that has tested and certified traps throughout the world and to make sure they meet the AHIDAS agreement, the Agreement for International Humane Trapping uh, Agreement. And uh, they, they do everybody's traps. They, they'll have tested Duke and Bridger and uh, whatever is, is submitted. Well, right now they're doing testing on, on lethal snares. And I think that the only reason they would be doing it is they want to maximize, you know, or set a standard Okay, like correct. You know, you take a one twenty um, Belial, it has to, it has to uh, incapacitate, uh, um, non recoverable. The animal has to be incapacitated, non recoverable within one hundred twenty seconds. You know, that's that's the standard 80 percent 80, uh, 80% of the time. You know, and and for each size of of trap and, and animal, they, there is a standard. So they're they're doing that right now for for snares and. I believe it, and in the near future, we'll we'll see that all our snares have to be lethal. And uh, it's it's one of the it's weird because I see places where they just want restraints, and I I guess the only thing I can think of is is that because your neighbor's dog might get in it or what? Yeah, we got a lot of peat up here towards the cities. Is that is that what it is? Like so that you're not killing yeah. a dog or? Is that that it? And now they're trying to pass. Now we're remember that seven inch hangover I told you. They want to go to twelve. Really? 
Yeah, and I've and I, in the fifteen years I've been trapping, I've never got a dog in a in a box. No, man, I have. I think I have caught one or two wolves in a three thirty, and and maybe that many coyotes, and and I've killed a lot of animals. I have killed yeah. a lot of animals. Like I mean, it's just not something a dog does. Uh, no, you know, a domestic dog might. I don't know. I know that when I do footholds, you know, if I end up having a November where where I don't have a bunch of snow in that, and I can I do footholding and I, I catch my neighbor's dog all the time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, we have to our footholds have to be certified, so you know that they're, they're offset. They they have a gap mm -hmm. in between the jaws. They they're, they're they're thickly laminated, so they don't do damage. There's no damage when it closes. It doesn't pinch off the the blood flow it won't freeze all that kind of stuff so i've let the dog go i don't know how many times you know like <laughs> yeah this won't learn well and it's funny because each one of my dogs gets caught once you know oh yeah and they're i guess the last four or five have been have been G, uh german short hair pointers um one was one was a weimaraner all they took was just once and the weimaraner just took watching when his partner get caught and he <laughs> would never go near it again it's so funny yeah. you, ever, you ever watch a dog when they're not sure about something and, they, and of course their nose is, tells them everything right so they get stretched out like you know just stretched out about about nine yeah. feet long trying to get their nose there to, to sniff and see what's going on well that was eli when after, after uh gunner got caught in a in a foothold is like man and you, you, if you'd have coughed while he was stretched out like that, he would have been like that cat on Bugs Bunny. He'd have been just gone, right? <laughs> but my neighbor's lab, it's like it's a pastime for him. He just does oh. not get on with it, man. Oh man, I I didn't do any footholding this year, so I haven't had any trouble with him. But okay. uh, uh, do you guys get uh, much trouble with uh, on your coyotes with um, like dog louse or or mange? Uh, I I and I haven't seen mange for the last couple of years. Uh, I've seen shoulder mites, or if they yeah. don't know if they call that up, same thing. Yeah, yeah, shoulder mites, dog louse. That's what it is actually. It's a, it's a domestic from the domestic dogs. Correct. Yeah. Hey, the you know I got this. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm I'm going to change the subject. Go ahead. <laughs> the one you got this year. The one I caught this year was nice. It was mid October, and he was fully. But they're so beautiful haired down here. They're a lot of fur on them, but they don't weigh very much. Well, none of them do. Like, I mean, my average, like a good coyote, a top dollar coyote, is going to weigh between 23 and 28 pounds. Yep. That's that. Those those are the big money coyotes. I'm a little bit far north for that. Mine tend to be a little bit darker than than what they really love. Like, uh, you know, they, they, they like those one, those, uh, one, two colored bellies. And, and we tend to be more like two, three colored bellies. And, uh, but they're not big coyotes. None of those, none of those are big coyotes. And, and people talking about, uh, catch, you know, 70 pound coyotes and all like, I, when I get into the big bush out of my, my registered trap line, you know, you're, you're out there and those, those coyotes are, have to deal with wolves, you know, so they're, they're quite a, a different animal. And they they're way harder to catch than than a wolf out in the out in the big bush, like they they are a, a lot more. And we have really... a lot of timber wolves here, a lot of them. Yeah, I I, I heard that, but I I've uh, my biggest ever was forty two pounds, you know, and okay. 
that that was out, out in the bush, you know, in the big bush, and he's that's where yeah. he's got to compete, you know. But what I was going to say was a lot of the coyotes down through the U.S., and I don't imagine it's where you are, but south of you and east of you and that have uh, those awful black things. They look like a German Shepherd. Do you, yeah. do you, do you know what causes that? Koi dogs. Isn't no. it where the... It's, it's actually, I, I just read a, a big scientific study on it. It was fascinating. My wife and I sit on the Alberta Conservation Association board and, um, you know, we're a $20 million corporation that that uh, deals with uh, conservation and in the improvement of habitat and, and opportunity and all that for, for Alberta uh, hunters and anglers. And we fund a lot of scientific studies. Those black that preponderance of the of that black gene showing up is a mutation caused by distemper so mm-hmm. the animal or the the animal's parent has got distemper from a tame dog and has survived it and passed and it's mutated the gene wow that's why there's getting to be so many of those black I mean, they look. Some of them, man, I'd I'd walk up and I I would like go let them go if if I could because it's like yeah, that's somebody's dog, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I've been trying to get one for years. Yeah, yeah, I know you guys are so fascinated with it. It's like, oh my god, it's like I, I, <laughs> not attractive at all, you know. But yeah, it's I was just fascinated by 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 what was causing it. But yeah, there, there there's a scientific study out there that that is what is causing it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there is the, um, there is some koi dog thing happening, but actually more, more what's happening is the koi wolf. And that is kind of north of you, uh, Algonquin. North okay. east, east of you, right? Yeah. It'd be east. It, yeah. Cause you're, you're more underneath, uh, uh, Manitoba, right? Yeah. So uh, it would be east of you over the Algonquin there, and and the um, the red wolf or um, the Algonquin wolf is actually a hybrid, and it's a hybrid between uh, uh, okay wolves and, and coyotes. And and the shame of it all is that they have the um, province uh, provinces biologists have decided that it is it should be protected, and all it is is that I mean this. This thing never existed until the the population of coyotes got to be so much that they pushed into the into the wolf uh, domain, and and they just happened to be that that the particular that eastern wolf will actually mate with them, where it doesn't happen here, like the the gray wolf here in the north. You want to see a koi wolf? It's it's a pile, it's a pile of turds with some coyote hair in it. That's that's a koi wolf <laughs> around here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we seem like we can't get it past up here where we can ha- harvest the timber wolves. We had a season a few years back, 20, 2012, 2013, and within three days they had their quota, and we haven't had a season since then. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in, you got to get get them out of control because it is just astounding how many, uh, how much they they eat. We have way too many wolves in Alberta. Uh, they figure healthy Alberta population would be around sixteen hundred wolves, and we're we're sitting at at probably nine thousand. Wow! Yeah, oil field development really helps wolves, and it and it harms harms the younglets because it, wolves use the um, roads road system and and the seismic glands and all that very efficiently. 
and they use them to hunt. Mm. And so that is to their benefit. You take though 9,000 wolves is it takes, takes over 60,000, 56 or 60,000 ungulates to feed them a year. So moose, deer, and elk, it takes about 60,000 of them to feed 9,000 uh, wolves in a year. And that's not counting you and me with a gun in our hand or, or, or the ones killed by an F-350 or anything else. That's just feeding them wolves, yeah. you know, and to produce that 60,000 and, and to have a, a stable population, you're looking at over 300,000 ungulates to produce that food for those wolves. You know? <laughs> we have a lot of cattle farmers that lose 10, 11 calves a year. See, and that, that would never fly here because we're allowed to kill everything. Like, I mean... Uh, right. I'm I'm allowed to uh, like there's no control on wolves or coyotes. I can shoot coyotes, wolves year round on private land. That, that, mm. that's, I you can uh, on my private land. I can shoot the black bear. Every one of them that I see or want to get rid of uh, cougar. The same thing if they're threatening livestock, we 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 can shoot them. Like I mean, uh, it's cattle country though. So I mean, uh, they they've been a, a lobby that's been around for a long time and yeah. have a loud voice. Right? It's not like they're doing us. Trappers any favors? No, <laughs> we just happen to be on the benefit end of it, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, your favorite animal to trap? That's got to be a raccoon. Okay. And your favorite set? Um, uh, uh, I um, it's like a dirt hole set, you know, like a pocket set. Okay. Because a lot of your your mature boars. We'll go into a dog proof. Anybody can trap a raccoon, but I want to get that 20% that nobody can get. Okay. And um, they... If, they, if they see too many of their buddies get sticking their hand in these, they get a, they kind of get smart. And the only way you really get them is with a pocket set. Okay. So describe this to us. So there's lots of people. So that... you take like a, take a spade shovel, like you're in a, let's say you're in a, on a in a river bank and there's, the bank, the bank comes down and it levels off, but the water's not all the way up, so it's kind of like an opening there. Yep. Take, take your shovel and stab it in and make a platform out, and then dig yourself a little hole out and put your bait in there. So when that raccoon comes in, because most of your raccoons will come swim down the river bank looking for food, and you'll smell that bait and you'll step on that shelf, and that's where your number one, one and a half coil string will be sitting and then he just slides down into the water and drowns okay so you have it on a on a a, a drowning cable or or pole or whatever right yep yep okay fish is the is, is the best bait for him yeah fish based or uh anything sweet they like a they have a kind of a sweet tooth on them i actually found at the local walmart a couple of years ago called fruity pebbles flavored syrup <laughs> drives them insane that's kind of like bear hunting around to... here in the springtime is they've been fed more more count chocular and <laughs> i've had actually trail cam pictures of them walking by my other baits going to that syrup. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have a lot of we have a lot of cornfields around here so 
every cornfield's got a well-worn coon trail coming in and out of that field. Yeah. I was so you just I, throw go ahead. No, go go ahead. So every so you put two or three corn or uh dog proof traps in the trail and next morning you come there'll be two, three coon in those traps, guaranteed. It's astounding how many of them there is, isn't it? Oh uh, yeah. And they're and their price aren't that high, so nobody's trapping them. Yeah. And every well, farmer knows what the coons can do to a cornfield in a matter of time. Well, and I mean, this same thing, the same discussion is happening right now about, uh, about especially about coyotes, right? Because coyotes were worth money for the last, I don't know, 10 years. They've been worth pretty good money. Now people are saying, well, it's, they're not worth money, so I'm not going to go trapping. It's not worth my time. Well, I look at it like this. One, I probably spend as much money to go fishing and, or, or maybe more money fishing and, and, and where I go fishing and everything, you know, travel around the world to go fishing and it's never made me a penny <laughs> but the other thing was was that when so many of us were out trapping those coyotes and and it was you know we were having coyote competitions that kind of stuff and it was getting on the on the news and and people would right away jump up and defend it and say well it's conservation and if we don't do it you know the 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 they will overpopulate there will be disease they, they will they're hard on on uh, the unglets and, and everything else so it's conservation we need to need to do this trapping um, that was true, but whether they're worth $1 or whether they're worth a hundred dollars, it's still true. <laughs> yep. And, and, you know, like, so, I mean, I, I still do my trapping and then, I mean, if I throw them in the freezer and, and, uh, you know, when I, when I get up to a, you know, a boxcar worth of coyotes in there, I'll, I'll take a shipment and I'll get whatever I get from, but it'll, yep. it's, um, it's also, I mean, it's for me, it's it's one of those things that that has a lot more value than just the dollars involved. I mean, it's a very uh, uh, serious part of of my mental health. You know, uh, it, it 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 keeps me me uh, pretty uh, straight and narrow, which you don't want me want to see me wandering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I got my kids into it too. Um, they all they all join with. Oh, and. FB1, I don't know if you're, free, if you're comfortable with Freedom Brand. Yes. They have an FB1, and my kids can set it with their hands. It's so user-friendly, women-friendly. Good. I, the, you know, yeah. I mean, the kids are our future. You know, I mean. Oh, yes. Without the kids, we're, we're not going anywhere. And, you know, we're just slowly going to die out. Um, we have had a lot of feedback because of the show. We get a lot of feedback. The fellow I did a, a podcast with here just the other day, he was saying, well, it's because of you. It's because of you. And, you know, like, I didn't know whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, but I, we get a, a lot of feedback like that where people say, you know, because of what you did, you got me interested in it. We're seeing a lot more of young adults. Um, you know, We're not capturing them when they're kids. I think you almost have to have an organization like, like the Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, that kind of thing, or have it in school or something to catch them, you know, to capture them when they're four, five, six years old. If mom and dad don't do it, you know what I mean? Correct. But when we get beyond that, then then we're getting a lot of young adults and, and you know, in their 20s and that, that we're getting feedback from and, and uh, you know, that they have taken it up because it looked like it was so interesting. It's funny. We have millions of people that watch us in, in Canada uh, millions that, that watch us in the in the U.S. and then on on YouTube and everything else, 
very few of them are actually truly trappers. You know, like, I mean, we have so yeah. many people reach out and say, I'm not a trapper, but man, this is fascinating, you know? And we've actually had people, you know, that came out on, on trips on the trap line. Like they have, you know, lots of times we'll donate uh, either to our community or, or to, uh, um, I sit on the, uh, as a board member on Wild Sheep uh, Foundation for Alberta. And uh, we we donated a hunt there and it auctioned off last year. And so we, you know, we took those people out, out, out this year. Not trappers, not trappers at all, but they had watched the show. They were just so fascinated and to get out there. And the one fella, it was kind of funny because <laughs> they were both from Ontario, <laughs> which okay. imagine you have, the, I don't know who, I don't know who you're, 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 uh, uh, the, the state that you, you, you get along the least with, uh, is from Minnesota, but in Canada, uh, Ontario and, and Alberta don't get along terribly well. <laughs> They're all in Toronto, which is south of you. <laughs> They're yeah. all in, in, in Toronto and, and they all think that we, you know, we live the life of pigs and we all have diesels and, and you don't need to, you know, travel like we do or, or have heat your houses and all that well they're, they're south to you like i mean they they don't know what winter is they get four inches and they have to of snow and they have to call out the, the national guard but uh the one fellow was was from uh from kenora and he pointed out to me that that was practically in manitoba so it was like he was <laughs> he, he was he was saying that he wasn't really from ontario i was like okay whatever and the lady though was from downtown toronto and I guess, you know, like her family was, just couldn't believe that she would come to Alberta. And they both have jobs in the oil patch, which is another big no-no, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and it was awesome. But, they, you know, they, they have just come out here and they, one of the things that they talked about was that out West, that things were so free. Like they went to, uh, um, uh, to Abraham Lake. And Abraham Lake has uh, it, it's a big reservoir, but it, it it's uh, in the mountains, and so the wind keeps it clear all year long, and it is the freakiest thing to look at because you know you'll have that much ice, and it's like clear clear ice, but there's a lot of methane underneath the lake, and so you get methane bubbles everywhere too, right? And you can go out there and you can skate and play hockey on the on that lake all winter long. I mean, because the, the wind keeps clear, right? <laughs> it's just it's just polished. They said, you know, all this stuff is just free to do. You just go out in the bush and it's just free, you know. And I, like, <laughs> I I loved it. I, I I thought that was so cool. But there they were young. I mean, they were younger than my kids, you know. And and uh, to to see them uh, interested in it and and uh, interested in they, there was nothing negative about it. They wanted to know about it. They wanted to understand, and uh, they accepted it. You know, and that's that. Those are the kind of victories that we need. You know. Yeah. I've actually had people at work with their straight PETA, and I've actually changed their mind on. They all think we're all redneck killing everything we can see, and I know I explained to her that these new traps we have are insane. I'll put my own hand in some of them. That was my motivation when I first started this show. Now, well, we're we'll be airing our, our ninth season on the first of April. Here, we'll start start airing our, our ninth season of broadcast. But that's what started it all. Was was just that we were getting so flogged, and part of it is is the whole trapper, uh, our you know our makeup, the the way we're put together is that we really 
we kind of marched to our own drum all the time anyway. And, you know, historically trappers have not been extroverts. <laughs> They've been more introverts. Hey. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we were, we just allowed them to keep saying things like animals were being skinned alive and, and all that kind of stuff. When we knew it was just ridiculous because anybody who for one half a second has ever sat down to skin an animal knows that it would be an impossibility to do it with it alive, even if you wanted to, even if there was a reason to, you know, and there is no reason to, uh, but, you know, it's not like they're going to regrow it or, or, or something like that. I mean, it's just, it's a physical impossibility. That animal, the whole value in it is in that pelt. So you, I mean, when you get it, you can't improve it. It's whatever mother nature made it. You, can screw it up though <laughs> you can make it worth a lot less <laughs> oh yeah so i mean we allowed all that stuff we we allowed just ourselves to be walked on because we were like who believes that crap right well a lot of people yeah. did. a lot of people did and and that's that's where we have to have to push back against it that's what we're doing and uh we're just normal everyday people you know i, I build houses my wife is a is a banker or a wealth manager now and um, we're just everyday ordinary people. And, and I mean, it's actually one of the nicest gigs you'll ever have, man, because we're just, all we're doing is just recording every day. You know, we're, there's no acting, there's no made up stuff, nothing like that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I would love to do what you do. Well, it, it's a lot of work. And, um, I was just looking, I've, you know, I've, I've had, uh, 14, four day trips so far this season. Like that's a, wow. you know, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you go for four days at a time. I've done it fourteen times, and and you know the the trap line is is three hours door to door, one way, and uh, you know you got to got to deal with the weather. You got to deal with with everything. Uh, we we started late this year. Normally, I would be I'd be probably at sixteen or seventeen trips at that at this point, but we started late because it was just so warm in November, and yeah, I mean your animals are prime every year at the same time because of uh daylight right so that leather being the thickness of the leather that's what prime is is how thick the leather is that's controlled by daylight nothing else but whether it's a difference between a, it being uh a semi prime or a heavy prime that's cold and so you know we waited till the middle of november before we fired up with uh martin and fisher and that because nothing was nothing was heavy yet right correct yeah yeah one uh one of the things that uh I was fascinated with, um, I did go do, do some uh, coon trapping one time in, in Saskatchewan with a fella, was how non-directional their fur was. It you know, oh. like most animals you pet one way and it lays down, you pet the other way, it stands up. There's just the same back and forth. You know, like I mean, yep. it's very thick fur. I was I was impressed with it. They they weren't what I expected. I mean once again you know i mean words are important and, and yet we laugh at them but you know they're always called trash panda and that kind of stuff and and so you think they're a smelly critter and that but they're not they're not, not i've actually i've actually tried and i've eaten one of them have you yep yeah, they're not bad they're not bad i um i've never well okay i i ate barbecue at the at the joint uh a buddy of mine uh would uh he had a a jumping mule you you know about this for for coon hunting in the dark yep yep he had you know he put the flower sack over top of the fence and the and the mule would jump it and and they go chasing all night long they, they'd hunt hunt coons i showed up there yep. one 
one morning and and we were, we were going going to go off fishing and uh he had these coons he said well, i just got to drop it off down the city here and and uh uh it was in saint paul and at a barbecue place and and uh the fellow there wonderful wonderful fellow but they they he was so funny he always joe always had to leave one paw on right <laughs> one paw on the, he had to skin it but he had to leave the one paw on. and the fellow says, yep. he says i don't mind eating cat but he says i ain't doing it at coon prices <laughs> So we we had some barbecue there, and I, I imagine I ate coon. I don't, I don't know, but it was it was it was okay. It was good. <laughs> that jumping mule was something else. That was the coolest thing. I never knew such a thing existed. But he, he just had a, a old pickup truck, and he would put that that flour sack was or sugar sack. I forget which sugar or flour. It was cloth, but that was that mule's whole life. And whatever it was put over, he would jump. So he'd put it on the tailgate of his truck and the mule would jump into the back of the truck. Doubt. Nope. I think we lost you. Oh, he had something go south on us there. I don't know what it was, but <laughs> we're right. back again. <laughs> I was I was talking I, uh... about that that jump jumping mule. And uh wherever he put that that flour sack or uh, over top of it, it would it would jump and he would like into the back of his pickup truck and he'd close the tailgate and down the road he'd go and the dumb mule would be leaning in the corners. <laughs> It was the funniest thing ever. But <laughs> I asked him one time, I said, whatever happened to the mule? And he says, you know, I lost that flower sack and it just wasn't the same again. <laughs> I have a buddy that runs uh, coy uh, coon dogs and coyote dogs. That's experience you got to do one time. I've never done coon, but I've done cat and bear with hounds. And okay. And let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. It's addictive. Like, oh, very. Wow. <laughs> he used to call me on Sunday mornings because I, I didn't live very far from him. Sunday morning, we'd go cut a track and let the dogs out. And 15 minutes later, here comes that coyote. Four dogs chasing Kamala County down oh, the line. Wow. <laughs> Hope you're a good shot because uh, there's a few times where we bumped a dog off because it all fired up and all of a sudden you're... <laughs> got a phone call <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that, that and then that... Uh, we run a lot of uh dogs for uh some cornfields too and that's a blast i was amazed at uh, a fella over in iowa that i talked with and he trapped in the the cornfields in, in iowa and i guess they have a lot of drainage problems there they have so much water in these fields that they have weeping tile everywhere and it's some okay. cases it's it's pretty large weeping tile and he would the coons would go up into this into this weeping tile and he said it was just the he he would he, i forget how many he would catch one of the i, I want to say he, his best year he caught a thousand but it was Is that the iowa trapper yes yeah yeah yep. justin just justin his yep. name is yes yeah and i was it was just he said but it was because you know there were so many raccoons in the corn and they and they all hid in those in that weeping town so it was an easy you know he said he didn't know how you do it otherwise right because it, it, it was just so it, it was uh such a focusing thing right it was pretty damn interesting anyway yeah yeah he's uh he pretty he taught me quite a bit about um dog proof trapping yeah yeah, is it? I imagine there's some 
tips and tricks that involved in those, huh? Yeah. Uh, they're, they're very user friendly. Pretty much a, well, he runs a lot of pull system. I run a push pull because we have a lot of skunks here. <clears throat> so explain to me the difference. I like once again, I've so never like used a, one. Like a, a pull trigger would be like when an animal reaches in there and skunks, possums, and raccoons all have actual hands. The only animal that could actually grab something and pull it up. Okay. Well, they do make a, just a pull trap. The ones I run are push and pull system. Okay. That, that allows you to catch more, does it? Uh, no, but uh, with a, just a pull one, you get you won't ever have a problem with a domesticated cat or a dog because they can't pull up on the on the right. lever. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, okay. Learn something every day. Like I say, I've never had I never had anything to do with those traps. I <laughs> you guys have <laughs> you guys have skunks up there? We do, but once again, they are by the time season starts, they're they're hibernating. Like uh, I've caught out in the big bush, I caught two on my trap line like two years ago in November. We had a big uh, schnook come through, and it was like I got mom and one of the one one of the little ones or whatever. Because I one one check yeah. I had had a fairly good sized uh, skunk hanging there, and the next check I, I had a smaller one. So I was I, I thought maybe that's what it was, but they must have got wet or something, or or maybe okay. they just they just warm up and they and they come out right. Did you skin those out then? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I drew very, the very the nice S. skin. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're they're really cool. I mean, they're they're one of those animals that I've, I've learned that there's really no such thing as prime on them. They're they're pretty much prime all the time. Um, I mean, they the leather will thicken up in that, but their their fur never changes, right? Uh, it no. changes very little from from summer and through. And I go, uh, I got buddies down south uh, with bees and and. Uh, and and over east in that and i'll i'll go and target uh skunk in that so i need to get enough uh essence for making lure in that right and uh it's it's a lot of fun i mean it's 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 an easy gig i mean they're they're about as uh low stress an animal to catch as it, it as comes man <laughs> yeah and a lot of these uh like these conna bears they kill them so quick they don't even have time to spray yeah, and that that's what I do. Like I, I like to use a 120 um uh, belial and I take and set it up so that the, the trigger's from up from the bottom and, and then you, you take and offset that, that trigger so that it looks like uh like the goalpost on a uh, in the football game, you know, they come up and yep. it goes over like this. And then uh, rotten beaver meat, once again, beaver is, is king, but rotten beaver meat in the back of the box. And he'll take and, and go to step through there and he'll have his head past that trigger and he'll and one of his legs past that trigger and it'll be the other shoulder as you know as he's going between those goalposts, it'll be the other shoulder then that'll trigger it. And there's like and maybe one out of twenty sprays, you know, like correct. Yeah. And because that's what I'm after, is all, that essence is everything that I'm after. So yeah. And yeah. it's it's good price too. I mean at the last <laughs> time I sold, I was getting almost I lost you. I don't know what you said there, man. <laughs> takes a lot of skunks to get a gallon of. Takes a lot of essence to get a gallon of estrus. Oh yeah. Scent. Yep. <laughs> I don't. 
do you have like is your market strictly to go to uh, lure makers yes uh we have a big we have a fnt up in michigan yep and then we have minnesota trap line supply down in uh pentecock minnesota so yeah all of our all my essence goes down there it is funny because um actually the lure making is 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 a is a minor part of uh of the sales here uh first nations buy it and they drink oh, okay it. They, they they believe in it as a medicine i've heard that and um, there's yep. a few people that are using uh some syringes and stuff for medical stuff yeah no they 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 drink it for everything under the sun and and of course i have a lot of uh first nation friends in that through the tra uh, the, the trapping show and that and I'll, you know, I've got COVID or whatever, and they'll be, they'll be telling me to take a, you know, one ounce shot of that and boil, boil <laughs> up some spruce tea and put that in. And I'm thinking like, I don't know, COVID's not as bad as that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> not to mention my wife wouldn't let me near her for, <laughs> for about a year until I, until I sweated out of you or whatever, right? <laughs> the first time my buddy tried to bottle it, he didn't know he had to put it in a glass. Oh, so the no. next day he goes out to his first shed and it melted through the plastic bottle he put it in. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I think it still smells in the first shed. It sticks around for a very long time. A very long time. It does. And it's amazing <laughs> what it can do to plastic. <laughs> Looks like our, our connection is breaking down bad here, man. So maybe we'll wrap this up and uh, we'll do it again uh, again sometime okay. down down the road. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Perfect. I, I, I have Thanks, I've enjoyed talking with you. And did I lose you? <laughs> no, there I'm there. Okay. Anyway, it, it has been a pleasure. Okay. Thanks, Richard. And you, you take care, and and uh, thank you to everybody out there uh, listening to us on their morning drive into the city or whatever. And uh, maybe we'll see you down the line.